I think the biggest like haul that I had in the morning taking off, I think I was sitting on about, I want to say close to 1.5 mil. I was, I went into the store one day to check one of them. And this lady, she was, uh, asked me about it. She was like, you think you can get my money back? I was like, I just got scammed for $5,000, you know, cause apparently she sent it to someone for some care package or one or another. I was like, yeah, I have no control of that. And there this whole time I'll talk to her. I'm like opening the machine and taking her money out that she just put in there a couple of hours before. And I'm like, felt so bad about that. I'm like, I was there to monitor this ATM and to monitor me. Only thing that's really watching me are the cameras inside the convenience store itself. And most of these convenience stores, they would have like fake cameras, dummy cameras, as I call them. One day I'm just sitting there with like brought on my chest. Right? Like there's like, I was like, man, there's like 10 racks right here. There's <laughs> like, man, that's not. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. It's like all these other things I was thinking about doing with it. And then, um, Hey, this is Matt Cox and I am going to be interviewing Justin. He is a former Loomis, um, Loomis, um, employee. Uh, they, so you've got Brinks, Loomis, you have uh, a Garda, you have these, uh, companies that move and transfer money uh, through uh, financial institutions. And uh, we're going to be talking about various types of things that happen uh, in those uh, depositories and on routes and how money, sometimes money comes comes up missing. And we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about uh, a particular heist. And so I appreciate you watching. Check it out. Where where are you now? Where's, where were you? Where are you raised? Oh, I was... I was born here in uh, West Texas. I don't want to name the particular town. Okay, of obvious re- obvious reasons. Um, I was born uh, to my father and my mother. They were like a medium kind of household. Uh, not too wealthy, not too poor. I guess you would say just just right in the middle, mediocre. Right. Uh, lived here pretty much the majority of my life. Uh, been all the way up to high school. Graduated. Went to college. Got a degree. Uh, after that, really just started bouncing and doing security work here around the West Texas area. Okay. So how, how did you end up, um, being, uh, uh, what, what do you guys call yourself? You're not really a security guard, right? You're a, we're, uh, we're a carrier service, carrier service. How'd you end up working for a carrier service? Well, after the many years of doing security and, um, all that, you kind of got a better resume to do it. Uh, so I just I signed on one day. I did an application online. There's the big hiring process. They go and take your fingerprints and basically everything to where something was to happen. The government has all your information. Uh, so you have a concealed weapons permit? I do. It's a, it's called a CHL here in Texas, concealed handgun license. But as of uh, November 20, either 2020 or 2021, uh, they made it a, a open carry state. So you can carry without a license. You still had to have uh, Florida too. Well, you still have to do a background check to, to buy a weapon also, but, uh, not anyone just can just go and buy one though, but it's good to have one. But, uh, with, when you get your security license, when you get your level three, it's automatically in there, uh, for you to carry it on the job. So that's why I got moved up so quickly also. Or as far as the handgun license. Yeah. So you put, you, you put an application in for just, for just Loomis or, uh, yeah, that's the only one that looked decent at the time as far as like vehicle wise, because 
Brings is like in the, it's kind of like in the ghetto part of town and their vehicles aren't all that good. Plus they're a one man team, which is outrageous. Just, it's crazy. Actually. I don't know how they let them do that though. But, um, uh, Garda, their vans just weren't secure at all. Like the back end of their vehicles, one of the doors was, uh, has a little hinge lock to where you like pull it up and then slide it back. You can slide it back. Kind of like a hotel lock. Right. As, and that was on the outside of the truck, keeping the door closed. It was ridiculous. Uh, but Lumos just looked like a good company to work for. And, uh, yeah, they're the, and they called me and uh, I kept calling them just to see if I can hurry up and get on because I needed a job at the time, not realizing what I was getting myself into. Well, okay. What? So you got hired and what happened? I mean, you showed up the first day. What? Yeah, I got, got hired, did the whole process of, you know, getting the, physical and background and drug tests all that all that passed it all i uh, went in for my first day learned how to drive the truck came in about two days later did class training and all that stuff and less than two weeks i was on the truck driving i drove for about another week week and a half and i got moved to carrier and usually you'd have to be there for at least six months for you to even be considered a carrier and that's those are messenger those are the people that go inside and pick up the cash or deposits or anything like that uh they're basically the boss of the truck it's a big lot of responsibility too uh so i was i was real honored to do that so we're off the bat but the one thing that happened was i got resentment for pretty much from all the other people that worked there that's been there longer i mean there's people that were there for a year or two and they still haven't been able to be a messenger just because I don't know. They used to have the initiative to do it, but uh, I got a lot of resentment for that. And pretty much, I just stayed by myself after that because I could see how someone could turn on you in the matter of minutes or days just because something so simple, like you know, being able to have your uh, to be able to be a messenger so fast. It's it's ridiculous. Like, okay, so what are the different roles in the in the that whole operation? Like I've actually written, I wrote a story. I don't know if you read that story that I wrote. Um, it's called Cash Logistics. It's on my website. But, you know, I I had interviewed, I know you contacted me um, after I interviewed the guy with the um, the brakes heist. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I was actually watching right now, the man behind the largest uh, bank robbery. Right. So um, you contacted me after that. I think on that show, I mentioned that I had written a, a story about a guy named uh, Jamar who had set up yeah. a, a Brinks heist. And, uh, you know, so, so, I mean, I kind of know the how it works, but I mean, can you, you know, like, what are the different positions? As far as Brinks, they, uh, they're the driver and the messenger, which is actually pretty dangerous. Um, that's what makes me think. I don't know how these companies can get away with that. Uh, what about, what about Loomis? How does that work? Loomis? Loomis, there's two guys. And as far as the truck layout is, it's a, it's a big F, I think it's an F650 converted into an armor truck, I believe so. Um, F650 converted to armor truck, uh, bulletproof glass, um, sophisticated cameras on the inside of them. They had cameras in the front with the driver, and then they had cameras in the back with me, uh, and the cameras pointing out the, out the front of the truck, two, one on each side and one in the back. So, and they're always 24 seven recording, uh, from the time you turn that truck on, even after you get, by the time you get back, it doesn't shut off for like another four hours or something like that. Uh, 
always recording. They're so sophisticated that if I was driving and I had one of these earbuds in right here, uh, it could tell that I had an earbud in my ear and I was being distracted by that. And so it sent back, you know, information to my supervisor saying, well, this is what he's doing wrong. And pretty much people can get written up for that. So as far as getting away with stuff, it was real difficult to do that. Let's discuss how the cameras work. But the guy at the driver, he's in there a uh, majority of the time unless he has to go to use the bathroom. And then he has to ask me to, if he can go use the bathroom, of course, go let him. I'll hop in the front seat because there has to be someone in the, in the truck driver's seat at all times. Um, And they do send out supervisors to go watch you to make sure you're doing your job. And they'll send them out 100, 200 miles out, you know, uh, to watch, see if you're doing it correctly. Uh, so uh, after that, Oh, where was I? I was like, yeah, so there's my position, the carrier or the messenger, right. as you would say. We'd be responsible for collecting the cash, go inside uh, convenience stores, ATMs, banks. Uh, also, we go like, into like little outlet stores and get their cash also. Their deposits in Walmarts also. We we did a lot of work with Walmarts. So We'd bring down change. I mean, you go in there and you what? You flash your badge and say, "Hey, I'm," because they they've called you to come pick up money, right? So they're expecting you. Yes, pretty much, and uh, they already know they they have a set schedule of when we're supposed to arrive. And um, there's actually been fraudulent people try to act as Loomis before. Uh, you you can probably look it up and find a couple of videos about it. Uh, but he just had like a little vest on. He didn't say Loomis on and no ID badge. But whenever we would go, of course, we'd have our ID badge. And uh, it'd be like on a lanyard that you just pull down, and you know, if you if you had a set Loomis on your vest, it, it looked pretty legit. And plus, uh, I got along with everyone, so they always knew they were like, "Well, uh, look, Loomis is here." Be like, "Why they call me that, man? That's not my name." So it's like you know, just gotta get along with everyone, get on their good side. So yeah, we go get their cash and then bring it back in the truck uh, after we scan it in, bring it back in the truck, put it in the bin, go on to the next route from about six in the morning to about yeah i usually get home around oh uh, nine ten o'clock at night if i went out of town so we'll be gone a full day six some from six a.m yes until uh, nine at night yeah, just about sometimes later but 15 hour day well my route uh we had to drive three hours out of town so it was, that was the drive that sucked the most. But all during that, on the way outside of town, we'd stop by little places, like little convenience stores and stuff like that to pick up their cash or whatever, or cell phone comp uh, places, T-Mobile. Uh, so on the way up there, we'd do that. And sometimes some places, they wouldn't even have deposits for us. They'd be like, oh, we don't have anything. All right, cool. On to the next. And I just had like this long list of places we got to stop at. So the whole time I'm routing route, which was the best, because they won't always be the same, like in order. So it's like, all right, so where do we need to be at at this time? We gotta be at this bank at this time. So we gotta do these, these routes efficiently. I had to plan them all out, kind of like in a route planner to see what's the fastest ones uh to take. Complete all those. Um to replenish ATMs would take a while, especially with the non uh, especially the ATMs that had multi-currencies in them, like fives and tens and twenties. Like Wells Fargo is like one of the biggest ATMs like, we would work for. Cause we would go in each, each well Fargo took at, I think it was close. I think it was every time we punished it, I think it was close to $250,000. In an ATM? Yes. That's wow. including, that's included hundreds, twenties or hundreds, fifties, twenties, and tens. 
Uh, yeah, I don't think they use fives, but uh, I could be mistaken though. So, you know, when we had these little cassettes that we'd take out of the ATM and uh, take them back to the truck, take the money, take the old money out, put them in the bag, scan it, because then we'd print out receipts for everything so we know how much is in the bag. And, um, uh, the, of course, the driver's watching you at all times. Whenever he got, he's, uh, he, he tries to position the truck closest as he can from door to door. Uh, if even if it's taking up handicapped spots, they would do that. Even though one of our guys got a ticket for that one time, which is, which is crazy though. But, anyways, that's uh, that's a different kind of story. But we replaced the ATMs, and yeah, about two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth would go into those ATMs, and then uh, on to, as I go back in the truck, onto the next one. And sometimes we'd have like four or five ATMs to replenish, and I think the biggest like haul that I had in the morning taking off I think I was sitting on about I want to say close to 1.5 mil I went that that's that you you picked up all together uh that's what I started out with in the day that's what I had to deliver and replenish also okay. uh because Walmart would take you a lot of money the Home Depot would get a lot of money uh so we had all these drop-offs and also there's that one picture I sent you of the big one that had a bunch of ones we took off to the strip club and that was, I think, I believe that was $100,000 worth. He built some of the nation's largest banks out of an estimated $55 million because $50 million wasn't enough and $60 million seemed excessive. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit crimes, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon. I took pride in that job, man, but over time it was getting too stressful. And, you know, as far as, you know, Christmas coming around the corner, uh, bills are piling up and uh, they were treating us correctly because we were getting paid as much as a regular cook was getting paid at the time. I'm not, I'm not dogging on cooks or anything, but I could have gone and been, I love food, so I could have gone better cooking. You paid the same as I was right. paid to did be the carrier. Uh, it was, it was like, I think like sixteen twenty five or something like that an hour, uh, which is ridiculous now that I think about it. Um, how long did you work there? Close to a year, uh, started around my birthday. I actually got it written down right here. Uh, oh yeah, I started on my birthday. That's what I did start on my birthday. That's what, that's one thing I remember to try to remember about it. It's like, even though I forget about it, uh, yeah. Around the time of my birthday, I'm going to say it's my birthday, but you know, around March 5th of 21. Okay. And then yeah, I worked with them all through the year, uh, through the summer, learned how everything went. It just got repetitive after a while. They even got to a point where when I was sitting in the back of the truck, you can see my leg propped up on one of those pictures that I was just looking at it one morning, you know, it was just making me sick to my stomach, just looking at, just looking at it because, you know, because people get their heads chopped off for that, for that paper. Yeah. If you think about it that way, it was, which is crazy. But then I had to go back, well, you got a job to do and I get back in that motion. Be like, all right, let's, let's get this day done with. So I got to that point where I was like, man, I'm getting tired. Did, I mean, did you ever hear about, you know, money just showing up missing or? Um, not really. If I'd never really bothered to ask around There's I've heard some things, but always been that kind of guy that's kept to myself and like i'm the more like the guy that sits in the back of the room and watches and listens to everyone else but with that job i just wanted to get my job done and go home uh 
even with the truck driver, you know, I was like, we would get a new driver. Be like, if I'm an ass, if I'm come off as an asshole or something, don't take it personally. You know, that's why I'd be telling him through the, yeah. the pain, pain glass window. And he's like, no, it's all good. The next day he's not even showing up. Uh, that's how stressful it was getting. Like, and at the end of the day, I apologize to him. Be like, man, I'm sorry if I came off as an asshole and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's just a whole bunch of numbers and stuff. And then people just, after a while, I don't know what got to me the most. I think it's just because, I don't know, I was working so much and, uh, yeah, paid. I'm, I'm pretty sure I could have got paid way better than I was. Well, so, well, what do you guys make? It was, uh, they, I started off at 15 an hour, but by the time I was getting, uh, by the time I left, it was 16.50 an hour. And do you get more than 40 hours a week? Oh, most definitely. Uh, I would clear at least close to 1,200 every two weeks. Um, so, okay. So I'm saying 40 hours a week. Do you work more than 40 hours a week? Most definitely. At least. Yeah. I hit 40, 40 hours by my, uh, I want to say by my third and a half day, fourth day on, I might, I'm working what, 16, 68, 60, 70 hours a week. Yes. Pretty much. Uh, at the very minimum, about 58 hours at the minimum. I was going to say, because the, the guy that I had talked to was, uh, that I wrote the story about, like he was telling me about money just showing up, you know, missing. Like guys would, they would scan the bags as they come in. Like, you know, they give give you the, the you pick up the deposits and you scan the bag. He's like, he's like you have a scanner, you, you have a little device, you scan it in. And he said, right. then at the end of the day, you come back and you give them, you scan, like, here's what I've got. They then scan them in. He said, and every once in a while, somebody would show up and there'd be one missing. And I was See, like, that's, that's where I kind of had a problem with that story because it goes back to like how sophisticated the trucks are. Um, and also, and this people, was probably 10 years, 10 or more years ago when his, his thing happened. Oh, okay. 10 years. Okay. Then the mod, they don't mind not to have the most sophisticated cameras. I could see that happening back then, but when I was there, I, there's no way that possible that someone could get, get away with that now. But uh, as far as money coming up missing, no, not really. Um, which comes to, uh, you know, here in town we have Brinks. Uh, they got they got robbed, and actually, that just looked like a setup, all in one. You know, it's just it's, no one's gonna know. Like, you know, hey, let's go rob this Brinks dude. You know, he's armed and by himself. It's like, and plus, like the way the it was on camera and everything, it just looked it looked totally funny. If you look up the uh, the town, I'll tell you the town later, and look up Brinks, uh, you'll find the video. Uh, but I don't think that guy was ever caught. Um, so what ha what happened? I mean, you don't work here, any you work don't work there anymore, right? So uh, so basically, after a while, it's getting too overwhelming for me, and then, uh. We, st we started working with these, uh, during my time, it was like six months in, we started working with these Bitcoin machines that they have at convenience stores. And it basically turns your cash into cryptocurrency. You can send it to your wallet or you send it to other people. And it's also basically a way to wash, or I guess, yeah, wash your money, I guess they said, they call it. Uh, basically turning, you know, drug money into, uh, yeah, just, like, yeah, money laundering, like laundering your cash into crypto or your crypto into cash, right? So pretty much and you know over times especially down 
uh, down going down south. Uh, there's a lot of them, and it's something you don't really notice. Like if you go into a convenience store, unless you're actually looking for it. And so we started working with them, and then we're going through the. I guess it's something that just barely started happening. Uh, so they give us some information on a little scanner and say, you know, give us the passcode for that for that ATM. So we go and put the passcode in, uh, open it up. Well, so it shows, first it shows the screen how much is in there. And then if there's anything in there, you open it up, clear it, or you clear it, then open it up, take whatever's out, out of there and put it in one of those bags as that guy was talking about. Uh, scan it in on the little, I would just scan it in, you put in the amount on your little palm. It's like a, like a zebra, one of those zebra scanners that you'd probably see someone have at Walmart. Uh, you scan it and then uh, put the how much was in there and then just throw it in the truck, roll out. Uh, yeah, that's what we started working with a lot. And most, like I said, 90% of the time there'd be nothing in, nothing in them. So I wasn't too sure who was the boss or, or who was the uh, supervisor for all those ATMs. It's um, I try to look, look it up and see who manages them all, but I couldn't find anything about them. So probably, I don't know if they still do this. There used to be a business opportunity scam where you could buy ATM machines. They can, uh, you can buy ATM machines. Um, as far as like, let's say, uh, there's some game rooms here. Uh, they buy, they buy them from, I forgot who they buy them from, but you can buy regular ATMs. But as far as buying Bitcoin machine ATMs, I, I don't know anything about that. I've never heard about buying Bitcoin machines. Um, I don't know. There was, there, there was one where you could basically you could buy them and then you could find, you could go put them in convenience stores and different places and load them and, and you know, char you charge whatever, $3.50 for every transaction or whatever it was. Well, yeah, right. I understand what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure who you'd buy them from, but I've heard of people buying them, uh, buying an ATM and then just putting their own cash in there. I'm not too sure how all that works either. I'm pretty sure there's some extensive background checking going through that to able to be able to buy an ATM in the first place. Well, I mean, they really just, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I don't know. I don't know. This was a, it was a business. I knew a guy that was selling the machines, like they would sell the machines and they load them with their own cash and then they tie them into, you know, whatever, however many banks or whatever. And then, you know, you go there and you punch in your pin number and you get the cash and then they take the cash from your, your bank account and they charge you a fee. So, um, but they were tiny little machines. They're little, they weren't big, massive ATM machines that were, that were, you know, in, in a wall or, or something. These were little tiny machines that you could probably put on a dolly and roll out with. Yeah, exactly. Like they bolt them to the ground, but I mean, you know, honestly, yeah. you know, probably take a crowbar and yank them out of the concrete. But most of the time too, especially when we don't open them at convenience stores, part of the ones you'd see at like a, would y'all have y'all have the uh, the Wawa there in Florida? Yeah, like the ones they have the ones they have there. I'm pretty sure those we'll probably have the same ones. And um, yeah, as far as uh, selling those, I don't know how you'd be able to sell those. Uh, but I never heard of that scam before. I'm gonna have to look into that one. Well, I mean, it, it sounds it, interesting though. The the um the cryptocurrency ones, like I can't imagine. Like, are those ones that are that are owned by Bank of America or you know, like what are they? I've never even heard of those. See, I've, as far as you guess, is just good as mine. Um, that's the thing. I never knew who owned those or who would get the money, you know, like, cause it's so hush hush, I guess. And plus we just barely started working with them. So, you know, I, you know, we'd go replenish ATM at a convenience store, 7-Eleven 
well, on the top of that 7-Eleven or on top of that ATM, it says Happy State Bank or America State Bank. Of course, we know where that where that ATM and that money's coming from. Right. But on Bitcoin, they never said it didn't have no like sponsors. It didn't have nothing saying like um, who the money, who who it's copyrighted by, maybe or uh, trademarks or anything like that. Is it didn't have anything even on the ATM itself. It just said Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is something though, but you know it's it didn't say with partnership with so and so, nothing like that. All right. Even on the main screen. So it's it's kind of weird so so what happened well all right so i was i went into the store one day to check one of them and this lady she was uh asked me about it she's like you think you can get my money back i was like i just got scammed for five thousand dollars you know because apparently she sent it to someone for some care package or one or another I was like, yeah, I have no control of that. And there this whole time I'm talking to her, I'm like opening the machine and taking her money out that she just put in there a couple of hours before. And I'm like, felt so bad about that. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, it's, yeah, there's, there are scams that go around. It's like, you, I gave her my, my contact number to the, to my job. And I was like, you might want to try to contact Bitcoin, even though I don't know who you would get in contact with from Bitcoin. Like this, they don't have no phone number on it or anything. I was like, I don't know how it goes about that. And uh, so she's just like real depressed about that. I mean, I'd be upset too if I just got scammed for five thousand dollars. It's right there in front of me, you know. Or, it's even though like she could have took out a gun and shot me in the head and took out anything I had. Like, there's people that kill for less than that. And so I kind of thought about that. And then after a while, I was just thinking about you know who keeps who keeps track of this. You know, I was doing the thinking like you know this bank controls this mo- this money, you know. I pick up this money from other uh, businesses. They know what they're giving me, so I got to scan them in. But who really, no one's there to monitor this ATM and to monitor me. Only thing that's really watching me are the cameras inside the convenience store itself. And most of these convenience stores, they would have like fake cameras, dummy cameras, as I call them. And uh, they just have like these blinking red lights. And that's how you can know they're, they're a dummy camera. Now. They look like those black dome ones you've probably seen. Right. Uh, I could spot fake ones from a mile away. Uh, I used to install them in a previous job, but that was a few years ago. But uh, the dummy ones they'd have, they'd have it like a blinking red light. And so I always knew if they were fake or not. And so I was th- started thinking, I was like, man, I just need to, you know, plan it out. Because we'd get like four or five of those in a, in a route a day. And like I said, 90% of the time, there's nothing in there. If there is something in there, there's nothing more than $100. So... I was like, you know, I'm not going to rush anything. Just see what happens. And if when the day happens, you know, that'll happen. Sure enough, that day didn't, it didn't, it didn't take long for that day to come. It was around Christmas time. And I just took my chance and, you know, went to go check out, see how much was in there. And there was 10,000 in there. And so I was like, yeah, uh, this is my time. So I tell you, I did, well, when when I go check those ATMs, I wouldn't have to, they, they tell us to carry a bag with us all the time. I don't, I don't know for what reason though. Pretty sure it's a safety reason, but I would never carry one in just to check the ATM because I knew if I was coming out with something, it would be small enough to put in my vest that I wore. So I always keep spare bags in there also. It's just in case. Uh, so I didn't take anything with me. So I went in there, checked it, looked around, spotted with fake cameras because all the time I started I started looking out where the cameras were and like just studying basically every, every convenience store I went into. So I went in there and checked it out. 
it said that it said 10,000 10, in there USD. Uh, open it up, took the cassette out, and right there on the floor, I, you know, I just opened up the bag, put the cash in there, but I never scanned it in. And uh, once you close the ATM and clear it, uh, it doesn't print off no receipts or anything like that. I just, so I just put it back in my vest. It looked like I just checked the checked the cassette to see if anything was in there. Uh, basically, just put the cassette back in. I closed it up, left. Uh, so just went out through the day, and the whole day I'm just like this is like maybe ten in the morning. So the whole day I'm just sitting there with like right on my chest, right? Like there's like I was like man, there's like ten racks right here. <laughs> there's like man, there's like I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. It's like all these other things I was thinking about doing with it. And then um, on the way back, it was, dark, it, was, it was at the end of the day, I was heading back and I was just sitting there. I was like, man, I'll probably go to prison. I'm probably going to go to prisons for this. And because I was, oh, no, there's no backing out now because there's cameras in front of me. There's cameras all around me. There's no going to your car before you go inside when we get there. And we were always the last ones there because we were, out, we were out of town, the far side of town. I was like, yeah, they're going to, you know, they see me go to my car. Like, they're not going to appreciate that at all. They're going to want to know, hey, why you go out to your car? Uh, and like I said, this is like maybe a couple of days before Christmas. So, uh, yeah, I just went home, took it out. Well, I went to my girlfriend's house and showed her what was up. I just told her I got some kind of bonus or whatever. She was from Mexico, so this, she didn't speak that good in English. So she just thought I got some kind of bonus. I don't know how all that worked out. I really don't remember all that. That was basically big, like a big haze to me now. So. Uh, yeah, I just sat on it for a couple weeks, man. Um, yeah, I had a, well, I got they, sick. They didn't notice? Well, they didn't. I'm pretty sure at the time they checked everything because uh, before, by the around the time I got that and by the time I came back to work, I was asked, they were like, have you been checking any ATMs? Like, make sure there's anything in there? I'm like, yeah, I'm making sure to check them all. Uh, you know, it's like there's... I was like most of the time because if uh, they tell us to check them, even though if it says zero dollars on the screen to show how much is in there, they say check it anyway. Uh, so I'll tell them, yeah, I check it every time. You know, I played it off real good, and then I, I got sick around that time after Christmas. I got, I had the flu, and then I got the COVID shot January first, twenty twenty two, and. The COVID shot I got apparently it was like the one that kills people or whatever. It was the Johnson shot, so I got it messed right. me up for like it was like a good week and a half. It, was, it messed me up pretty good. And then after that, after I got that way, that pain went away. Then I got COVID. Like at the very end, I was like, man, I, that would happen to me. So uh, I got COVID, and then I got over that. That took about a month and a half. On the on the end of that, on the end of that, that's when I came back to work. And between that time, we went to Miami. So she get her, her breast done. Your girl map. Yes, at the time and paid for all that and everything. I'm talking about like every all the plane tickets, the Ubers, the food and all that. And so it was pretty it's pretty good experience for me, especially me never going to been to Florida also. I mean like that humidity, I don't oh no, forget that. Can't do that humidity again. But uh came back. Um Worked for about a week on my second week back. Uh, they took me to the office. Well, they told me to, um, they're like, hey, just hold off. The manager wants to talk to you, the, the supervisor, the branch supervisor of the building. And um, uh, they were like, yeah, they showed me this video of me not wearing my seatbelt or something like that, which I've done almost like every day uh, 
it was policy to wear your seatbelt at all times when the truck's moving. Law enforcement often questions him, not because he's suspected of a crime, but because they find him fascinating. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit crime, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon. I would hardly wear my seatbelt, and then they told me to come in. Uh, they showed me a video of me not wearing it. He's like, he's like, he wants to talk to you about this. I'm like, all right. I was like, you know, it's just like me not wearing my seatbelt, a video of it. And I'm like, yeah, there's something else going on here. And so I waited for like another hour. Everyone else already left, so I'm just sitting there by myself in the bay. You can hear the change machine in the background because they're always just constantly running change and people that go to coin stores and turn their change in. We we collect all that too. Uh, so you just hear in the background, I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, probably going to go to prison. I was just, you know, I was thinking to texting my mom and everyone, you know, hey, if y'all don't hear from me, you know, because there's no way, if that was to happen, there's no way I could call anyone and tell them what happened. Um, Why? I, I, got, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell them from jail, you know, just because, hey, I'm in jail. I'd have to tell them before, you know. Yeah, and I, and they'd be recording you anyway. If you were trying to talk to them on jail phone, you wouldn't be a good idea to say, hey, I swiped 10 grand. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I wonder what I should do because by this time, I already already spent most of it. Maybe I had about maybe like two or 3,000 left uh, to sit on that. So I couldn't, I was just sitting there like, you know, I'm just not going to say anything, you know, like I've always done before in the past, you know, when I, when I got in trouble. Because uh, nine out of ten times they're bluffing if they say they got they say this and this and this and as much as I, I knew, I know they haven't been to every store that we, I've worked in, especially with these new machines. So I was like, yeah, I was I was gonna you know play along with it. I'm gonna act like I don't know and just not say anything. So I guess got taken to the back. They like you know on this day or this day, you know, you know what ha what might have happened at this ATM. Be like, like I don't recall. You know, I, I used to hear a lot of cops say that when they're in the court. Like, I don't, I don't recall, you know, so that's basically saying, you know, you know, but you don't know pretty much. Like, you know, damn well what happened, but you just don't want to admit it. Right. Like, I, I don't recall. So I just kept saying that. And then, uh, the guy that was, that guy that was talking to me, he used to be, a he used to be some, uh, detective for, uh, Homeland, uh, not Homeland Security, but, um, probably is that Homeland Security of people that work at the airports? Uh, uh, no, T, uh, uh, what is it? Um, TSA, TSA, that, that TSA. Well, he's some investigator for them. Um, I guess they'd, he'd go and interview people that try to smuggle in, uh, drugs or money or whatever. Right. He used to, he used to do that in, in, uh, in, in Miami out of all places. Cause he had this real thick Cuban accent and that's where he started out as And uh, how ironic that is. Um, but, uh, he came up here to work here in West Texas and he was interviewing me. He's like, he just looked at me, you know, he's like, he's like, it was just him in the room. I didn't have my gun on me. They took it off me and everything, you know, it's so I didn't, I wasn't going to come off the threatening or anything. I just sat there like pretty much how I am now. Just looking at him kind of like with a slight smirk on my face. Not really, but I was kind of nervous. So that's how I hot it is that, you know, I was, I was just kind of like smirk to myself or whatever. It, it looks like I'm smirking or laughing, but I'm really not. And so he's like, he's like, Justin, I know what you did. You know, he's like, so you got, I didn't wear my seatbelt. Yeah. Well, yeah, that too. And, on that, and that was like the third thing too. He's like, he's like, and you never wear your seatbelt also. And I'm like, 
Yeah, I forget that seatbelt always chafing me, cutting me in my neck and all that. It's like, all this money can't buy new seatbelts. Like, they'd be all frizzy and stuff. So, like, I cut in your neck. I'd put, like, a, like a, one of those seatbelt covers right there. It's, it was ridiculous. All the money they got, they can't afford those. And the seats, too, were uncomfortable as hell. It's like riding on a horse all day. Uh, so, basically, it's gave me an ultimatum. You know, if I wanted to stay, that's fine. But if but they'd get rid of me eventually. And it'd be in the back, and that it'd be me leaving in the back of a cop car. We didn't say that, but he said, you know, we'd make sure. I forgot what he said exactly, but those are along the lines of it. Had to still remain professional either, either way. Uh, so as I resigned, you know, took on my vest, they escorted me out. And by the around this time, I didn't have a, I didn't have my ride that was in the shop. So as they stripped me of everything, I had a, even my clothes. So I was like standing there. It was so cold. I remember it was like 40 degrees that morning. And I'm sitting there outside with my, sh I'm sitting there in tennis shoes, uh, my shorts. Uh, I had some shorts that I brought with me because I was, I changed them out at the end of the day because uh, my pants would get too sweaty and whatever. So I put on my shorts and my, I had a tank top underneath. It was kind of like a tight Under Armour shirt. And I'm sitting out there, 40 degree weather, no jacket or nothing. Cause we had to give us Loomis jacket. So, um, they took that away. I'm standing there like freezing balls, like with the wind blowing. I'm just like, man, I think I just dodged a bullet right there. And so I walked about two miles to my girlfriend's house and tell her what happened. And uh, I never heard anything back from them at all. Uh, so that was it. And they basically said like, you know, you can resign or if you stay, then, you know, you're going to, you're, we're, we're going to end up get, getting you to a, getting you fired. Yeah, some way, some way or another, um, because because they, they knew the money was missing, but they couldn't pinpoint what you'd done. Exactly, because uh, I never scanned it in or anything like that, and uh, never scanned it in. And I'm pretty sure they did. They did. They only had on their on their end. I'm pretty sure the only thing they could probably see is like how much was in there and where it was at. But as far as proof, that's why I said I'm just gonna not say anything. Uh, Cause if they know if they have proof on you, they're not going to ask you. You know, the same. Yeah, they're going to call the cops and they'll come exactly. get you. Exactly. So I was like, and there's been times where people have got arrested, uh, you know, just for taking this or that, and they don't they don't even tell you. They wait till the cops to get there, and then they'll call you back, and then automatically arrest you rather than there. I'm like, I'm pretty sure if I was getting arrested, I'd be in handcuffs right now. Like if, well, uh, the guy Jamar had told me about two instances. One was a guy that had worked at the place for I don't know whatever five years, four years, I forget. And he said he came in one day and they were scanning in the bags. And, and Jamar said he was the one scanning the bags. He's like, they have different jobs. He's like, like you could be a driver or you could be like a messenger. He said, and then you have the guy inside who actually skip when they, the, when the crews come vault back in, the what? The vault processors. Right. Like a process. He said, so they bring up the bags and you scan all the bags. Um, so he was scanning the bag because they made ended up making him like an assistant manager or something. Like they were training him on all the jobs. Right. And so he said, I'm sitting there and I'm scanning in the bags. And he said, I scanned them all in. I looked and he was like, okay, you, there's 12 bags. He's like, the guy's like, right. And he goes, well, it says you picked up 13. And he goes, nah, man. He said, wait a minute. And the guy counted the bags and he goes, he sat there and he goes, hold on a second. Let me, maybe, maybe, maybe it's in the, in the truck. Hold on. Goes back to the truck comes back in and he said the trucks were all parked inside he's like so he didn't leave my site he just walked opened the door looked around came back he said 
I don't know. And he was, the, and so he was like, it was like, and he said too, it was like 30 or 40 grand. He said it was like, it wasn't a little money. And he said, um, and, and the thing is Jamar, I think he said like, he was the only one there at the depository as the guys are coming in. He said, so he was like, okay, well go home. He said he made a note in it, of, in the log book. Look, this 12 showed up, 13 were picked up, came in with 12. He didn't know what happened. So the next day when he got there, they called him in the office, called Jamar in the office and said, what happened? He told him what happened. He said, I don't know what to do. This is what happened. They were like, okay. Then they talked to the guy and the guy said, I don't know. It says I picked up 13 bags. You know, at one place he picked up, let's say three bags in, in one of the places. And he said, you know, it says I picked up three. He said, but I, I'm pretty sure I must've only picked up two. He goes, maybe I scanned it, scanned one of the bags twice. And they were like, no, we called, you picked up three. He was like, oh, I don't know what to tell you. And they were like, okay. He said, man, listen, he's like, he kept worked, worked the whole week. He said, they never said anything. And the guy like a, whatever, a month later showed up with like a fucking $10,000 motorcycle and just gave him this look like, yeah. Now he said there was another girl. He said there was a girl that had done it. She'd been working there six months. She, they pulled up in the truck and the girl got out of the truck and went to her car and then came back. And walked in and they scan started scanning bags and she was missing a bag. He said, but it was obvious she walked to her car. He said, so what they did was they looked at the surveillance cameras, saw that she had brought, had gone back to her car, like had her jacket or something, put her jacket in person. And she goes, oh, I just, they said, why'd you go back to your car? Mm -hmm. She said, I put my jacket, my purse in my car. And they were like, yeah, you were supposed to come straight here. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just. I'd been carrying around all day. I just thought I was leaving. I'm, you know, and they were like, no, so they called the police. The police went to her car and said, open your car. She opened the car and there was the fucking bag. They fired her. He said, I don't know that she got charged with anything. He said, I just know she left. And, and like, he's like, we never saw her again. He was, but to be honest, I don't know that they charged her. And his whole thing was, he didn't think they charged her because he said, I don't think one, they recovered the money. He was in two. He's like, like, I don't think that they wanted to the publicity, the publicity of, Hey, these guys are walking off with money periodically. And like, you know, you're saying it doesn't really happen that often. According to him, he'd only been there like a year or so. He's seen it happen twice. Yeah. As far as that, as far as the guy losing one bag, uh, that's, it must've been a smaller branch. Um, as far as him being the only person checking in the bags, because usually when we'd get there, but there'd be like three or four people checking in bags. Uh, so it must it had to been a smaller branch. Um, well, yeah, him not had the the vehicles come in. There's two drivers. There was two drivers in his cruise. There oh, there's there a driver and a and a runner. And he said that they they would pull in. It was a big. It was a depository, right? It wasn't. It they were moving everything to a bigger, more secure place like because he said this was like a warehouse you know he said it wasn't super super secure um and he said that you know as the trucks showed up at different times they would show up they'd come he said i'd check them in he goes maybe 20 minutes later somebody else would show up maybe five minutes later another truck would come in so he's like there was never like a line of people there that sounds like you know now that you mentioned it we're moving for warehouse to a new building to a more secure building that sounds like the area i worked at right uh, was this is Jamar Black dude? Yeah. This was in uh, Palm Beach. Oh, Palm Beach. Yeah. 
because I know that happened. We got before I got there, they just barely moved into this new place, and they used to kind of have like a warehouse thing. It looks like a warehouse, big bay door that you had to roll up. But this one was real sophisticated. Uh, that's crazy, man. Let's talk about that. I guess they all got new buildings or whatever. But um, the way we the way they put this building is like kind of at the end of town, kind of not in the worst part of town, but still, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to live over there. Well, but. You- you know, but it's kind of like yours. Like it's the same kind of thing where, like, they're like something happened. Yeah, you know, like true. we can't prove it because the guy, you know, we can't really see where he took. Plus, it's only ten grand. You have to think too. I've known guys that have run bank scams and they never steal more than ten grand, like on a fraud. Because the problem is, if it's less than ten grand, most banks don't investigate it. So you're saying it's about ten grand? Sounds to me like they were like, "Yeah, we can't really prove it. We don't really know. Let's yeah, just just let them go. Just see if we can find spend more money on resources trying to figure everything out." Right, and in the end, what does it matter? They're not getting their ten grand back. Hell no. And then they may get a bunch of bad publicity. That too, because you know they're supposed to be like you know the top top one. You know, uh, you know they're supposed to be, they're gonna, they'll probably lose a lot of customers just hearing hearing that itself. And especially the banks we worked with, and they would—they don't want—they don't want to lose Wells Fargo. I mean, at least the local one there, or any other little banks we worked with, America State Bank, Citizen State Bank, uh, Walmart, right? Because they could always go to another courier service like Brings or Garda. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's why they did what they did, and also because they didn't have no real proof. Also, just made just make sure I was—I had to make sure everything was legit, and there's no. I mean, it wasn't legit, but I had to make sure that if I was to do this, that I wouldn't be caught in some way. But as like you were saying yesterday, you know, just that one little slip up or whatever could have caught me. So um, what did you think was going to happen? They were never going to catch it or? Uh, I knew eventually something would happen though, but I, it got me not do that cycle. Well, who's really keeping uh count on the Bitcoin machines? Who's really looking over those? Uh, you know, what's... They, they don't really have cameras on them or anything like that. Uh, yeah, but you knew at some point that the the owners of the Bitcoin machines were going to realize that we've transferred, you know, $100,000 in the last six months and we've only collected 90000 Like, there's ten grand missing here. I mean, you had to know they were figured out at one point. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. Uh, that's and plus, I was gone. I was gone because uh, when we, when you, if you got COVID, you, it was a mandatory 14 days. You had to stay home. I don't, remember you remember that kind of uh, that era. Yeah. Uh, so I had those two weeks off, and then uh, I was still sick. I, I was still sick going to Miami. I was like, I feel like shit that whole time. I really didn't even get to enjoy it that much. My, my ex did though. Uh, but yeah, it was like a good four weeks until I came back, and by that time they had it all figured out. And I was pretty nervous. Don't get me don't get me wrong. Uh, especially going in there and uh, just having that feeling, what's what's over your what's on your shoulders, you know, all that weight and stuff. So I, that's why it makes me think. I don't know how the hell you got away with all as much as you did. It's like I got away with this measly 10, 10 G's. It's like you got away with like multi millions. It's like I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, well, I, I figured they figured it out sooner or later. Um. So what are you doing now? Uh, what am I doing now? I'm still doing security. Uh, still doing that. Staying in the. I'm just trying to, you know, try not to be as greedy as much, you know, because I never had any problems with my life, but just taking as much as I didn't need, you know, 
taking stuff that wasn't mine. I never really took from people. I always took from multi-billion dollar corporations like Walmart or, you know, just you know, places like that when I was younger. Uh, just places, stuff like that though. Um, but yeah, just doing security, you know, just sticking to myself mostly. Uh, still have no felonies on my record or nothing like that. So I still have my firearm license and everything. So I want to kind of try to take care of that. That made me realize, you know, I could have lost a lot going to prison, you know, for that. Right. I'm pretty sure that'd be a federal charge. So, um, I'm pretty sure it would be. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So it's, it's, uh, it's a blessing that I got out of there. I'm thinking, I'm real thankful for it too. Uh, I just try to turn my life around, you know, I quit smoking cigarettes and like, cause, but then I was smoking at least a pack a day. And that's also dip also. So I was like, I don't know. I do out of those. I do these little, these little faves right here. And some of us all don't have little nicotine in it. This has like 2%, but it's, uh, it's, it's real convenient. And so I've, you know, turned my life around for the good, you know, got rid of a toxic relationship. Well, like I didn't have a choice. Like she just up and left one day. So I'm like, this is the, uh, the fake, the fake boobs chick. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. It's like, man, I was like, at least I'm a, let me get my breast back, man. Yeah. I mean, like, those like five dollars. It's like four thousand. Yeah. So we could have went to Dallas. Had it done cheaper. Um. Okay. But yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting story. I don't, it's not the best story though, but you know, as far as you know, it gives a little insight of you know how things work with the courier service. Um, right. Yeah. I'm psyched. I just wanted to tell you that story, and pretty much, I haven't really told anyone that that whole story. Yeah, I think yeah, you're you're pretty much yeah, you are. Besides my ex, even though she didn't probably really get the whole asset of it, her not understanding English that well, but uh, you're pretty much you are the only one I really told the whole story from beginning to end. So okay, it's pretty cool telling telling you that story. Well, all right, good times. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on this podcast. Yeah, if you like the video, do me a favor, hit the thumbs up. Hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this, and share the video. Also, when I was locked up, I wrote a whole bunch of true crime stories about guys that I had met in prison, so check out some of the trailers. Using forgeries and bogus identities, Matthew B. Cox, one of the most ingenious con men in history, built America's biggest banks out of millions. Despite numerous encounters with bank security, state, and federal authorities, Cox narrowly and quite luckily, avoided capture for years. Eventually, he topped the U.S. Secret Service's most wanted list and led the U.S. Marshals, FBI, and Secret Service on a three-year chase while jet-setting around the world with his attractive female accomplices. Cox has been declared one of the most prolific mortgage fraud con artists of all time by CNBC's American Greed. Bloomberg Businessweek called him the mortgage industry's worst nightmare, while Dateline NBC described Cox as a gifted forger and silver-tongued liar. Playboy magazine proclaimed his scam was real estate fraud, and he was the best. Shark in the Housing Pool is Cox's exhilarating first-person account of his stranger-than-fiction story, available now on Amazon and Audible. Bent is the story of John J. Boziak's phenomenal life of crime. Inked from head to toe, with an addiction to strippers and fast Cadillacs, Boziak was not your typical computer geek. He was, however, one of the most cunning scammers, counterfeiters, identity thieves, and escape artists alive. 
and a major thorn in the side of the U.S. Secret Service as they fought a war on cybercrime. With a savant-like ability to circumvent banking security and stay one step ahead of law enforcement, Bosiak made millions of dollars in the international cyber underworld with the help of the Chinese and the Russians. Then, leaving nothing but a John Doe warrant and a cleaned-out bank account in his wake, he vanished. Bosiak's stranger-than-fiction tale of ingenious scams and impossible escapes, of brazen run-ins with the law and secret desires to straighten out and settle down, makes his story a true crime con game that will keep you guessing. Bent. How a homeless teen became one of the cybercrime industry's most prolific counterfeiters. Available now on Amazon and Audible. Buried by the U.S. government and ignored by the national media, this is the story they don't want you to know. When Frank Amadeo met with President George W. Bush at the White House to discuss NATO operations in Afghanistan, no one knew that he'd already embezzled nearly $200 million from the federal government, money he intended to use to bankroll his plan to take over the world. From Amadeo's global headquarters in the shadow of Florida's Disney World, with a nearly inexhaustible supply of the Internal Revenue Services Fund, Amadeo acquired multiple businesses, amassing a mega conglomerate. Driven by his delusions of world conquest, he negotiated the purchase of a squadron of American fighter jets and the controlling interest in a former Soviet ICBM factory. He began work to build the largest private militia on the planet, over one million Africans strong. Simultaneously, Amadeo hired an international black ops force to orchestrate a coup in the Congo while plotting to take over several small Eastern European countries. The most disturbing part of it all is, had the US government not thwarted his plans, he might have just pulled it off. It's insanity. The bizarre, true story of a bipolar megalomaniac's insane plan for total world domination. Available now on Amazon and Audible. Pierre Rossini, in the 1990s, was a 20-something-year-old Los Angeles-based drug trafficker of ecstasy and ice. He and his associates drove luxury European supercars, lived in Beverly Hills penthouses, and dated Playboy models while dodging federal indictments. Then, two FBI officers with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force entered the picture. Dirty agents willing to fix cases and identify informants. Suddenly, two of Rossini's associates confidential informants working with federal law enforcement were murdered. Everyone pointed to Rossini. As his co-defendants prepared for trial, U.S. Attorney Robert Mueller sat down to debrief Rossini at Leavenworth Penitentiary, and another story emerged. A tale of FBI corruption and complicity in murder. You see, Pierre Rossini knew something that no one else knew. The truth. And Robert Mueller and the federal government have been covering it up to this very day. Devil Exposed, a twisted tale of drug trafficking, corruption, and murder in the City of Angels. Available on Amazon and Audible. Bailout is a psychological true crime thriller that pits a narcissistic conman against an egotistical pathological liar. Marcus Shrinker, the money manager who attempted to fake his own death during the 2008 financial crisis, is about to be released from prison, and he's ready to talk. He's ready to tell you the story no one's heard. Shrinker sits down with true crime writer Matthew B. Cox, a fellow inmate serving time for bank fraud. 
Shrinker lays out the details. The disgruntled clients who persecuted him for unanticipated market losses, the affair that ruined his marriage, and the treachery of his scorned wife, the woman who framed him for securities fraud, leaving him no choice but to make a bogus distress call and plunge from his multi-million dollar private aircraft in the dead of night. The $11.1 million in life insurance, the missing $1.5 million in gold. The fact is, Shrinker wants you to think he's innocent. The problem is, Cox knows Shrinker's a pathological liar and his story's a fabrication. As Cox subtly coaxes, cajoles, and yes, cons Shrinker into revealing his deceptions, his stranger-than-fiction life of lies slowly unravels. This is the story Shrinker didn't want you to know. Bailout, The Life and Lies of Marcus Shrinker. Available now on Barnes & Noble, Etsy, and Audible. Matthew B. Cox is a con man, incarcerated in the Federal Bureau of Prisons for a variety of bank fraud-related scams. Despite not having a drug problem, Cox inexplicably ends up in the prison's Residential Drug Abuse Program, known as RDAP, a drug program in name only. RDAP is an invasive behavior modification therapy specifically designed to correct the cognitive thinking errors associated with criminal behavior. The program is a non-fiction dark comedy which chronicles Cox's side-splitting journey. This first-person account is a fascinating glimpse at the survivor-like atmosphere inside of the government-sponsored rehabilitation unit. While navigating the treachery of his backstabbing peers, Cox simultaneously manipulates prison policies and the bumbling staff every step of the way. The Program How a Con Man Survived the Federal Bureau of Prisons' Cult of RDAP Available now on Amazon and Audible. If you saw anything you like, links to all the books are in the description box.